June 16th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and I am, as always, honored that you would take some time out of your day to join me in reading God's Word. And as always, we are going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, and the Bible plan that we read out of is the one-year Bible plan. We're going to read through the entire Bible this year together as a community. And we're going to jump in with our Old Testament reading today, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 25, all the way through chapter 17, verse 24. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 25. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, began to rule over Israel in the second year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Israel two years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his father, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. Then Basha, son of Ahaziah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against Nadab, Nade Nadadab and ooh, that's that's shouldn't be a hard name, but it was kind of hard for me there. Nadab and assassinated him while he and the Israelite army were laying siege to the Philistine town of Gibbeth. If you want a polished podcast, this is not the one. I'm not gonna read it like a robot. I'm just reading it with you. Verse 28. Basha killed Nadab in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah, and he became the next king of Israel. He immediately slaughtered all the descendants of King Jeroboam, so that not one of the royal family was left, just as the Lord had promised concerning Jeroboam by the prophet Ahaziah from Shiloh. This was done because Jeroboam had provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by the sins he had committed and the sins he had led Israel to commit. The rest of the events and Nadab's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. There was constant war between King Asa of Judah and King Basha of Israel. Basha, son of Ahaziah, began to rule over all Israel in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Basha reigned in Tirzah 24 years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. This message from the Lord was delivered to King Basha by the prophet Jehoiah, son of Hananiah. I lifted you out of the dust to make you the ruler of my people Israel. But you have followed the evil example of Jeroboam. You have provoked my anger by causing my people of Israel to sin. So now I will destroy you and your family, just as I destroyed the descendants of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The members of Basha's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the fields will be eaten by vultures. The rest of the history, the rest of the events in Basha's reign and the extent of his power recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Basha died, he was buried in Tirzah. Then his son Eli became the next king. The message of the Lord against Basha and his family came through the prophet Jehu, son of Hananiah. It was discovered because Basha had done what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as the family of Jeroboam had done, and also because Basha had destroyed the family of Jeroboam, the Lord's anger was provoked by Basha's sins. Eliah, son of Basha, began to rule over Israel in the 26th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in the city of Tirzah for two years. Then Zimri, who commanded half of the royal chariots, made plans to kill him. One day in Tirzah, Eliah was getting drunk at the home of Arzariah, the supervisor of the palace. Zimriah walked in and struck him down and killed him. This happened in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Then Zimriah became the next king. Zemariah immediately killed the entire royal family of Basha. 
leaving him not even a single male child. He even destroyed distant relatives and friends. So Zimri destroyed the dynasty of Asha as the Lord had promised through the prophet Jehua. This happened because of all the sins Basha and his son Eliah had committed, and because of the sins they led Israel to commit. They provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Eliah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Zimri began to rule over Israel in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, but his reign in Tirzah lasted only seven years. The army of Israel was then attacking the Philistine town of Gibbeth. When they heard that Zimri had committed treason and had assassinated the king, that very day they chose Omri, commander of the army, as the new king of Israel. So Omri led the entire army of Israel up from Gibbeth to attack Tirzah, Israel's capital. When Zimri saw that the city had been taken, he went into the citadel of the palace and burned it down over himself and died in the flames, for he too had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed in the example of Jeroboam and all the sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The rest of the events in Zimri's reign and his conspiracy are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. But now the people of Israel were split into two fractions. Half the people tried to make Tibbenai, the son of Gineth, their king, while the other half supported Omri. But Omri's supporters defeated the supporters of Tibni. So Tibni was killed and Omri became the next king. Omri began to rule over Israel in the 31st year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned 12 years in all, six of them in Tirzah. Then Omri bought the hill now known as Samaria from its owner, Shimri, for 150 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria in honor of Shimmer. But Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, in all the sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The people provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Omri's reign, the extent of his power, and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Omri died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Ahab became the next king. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow in the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king Ephibel and of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship of Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asheroth pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. Now, how would you like that to be your reputation? Nobody's ever made God more mad than you, dude. Yeah. Verse 34. It was during his reign that Hael, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abram. And when he completed it and set it up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Segabub. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. That concludes chapter 16. Now, moving on to chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishabub and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. 
Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zareth, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath as he arrived at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water cup, a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Wow. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. To which you're like, Elijah, come on, man. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will be always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. So God showed up. Verse 16. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse. Finally, he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks through you. That concludes our Old Testament reading. Moving on to the New Testament, Acts chapter 10, verse 24 through verse 48. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. We see here um, Peter is probably gaining a lot of fame. He's healing people, raising people from the dead. And people are like, you know, maybe you're the Messiah. We got to love Peter here. He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, stand up. Do not worship me. I am human. Uh, everything I do is through the power of Christ. That's amazing. Verse 28. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter into a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. I want to pause here just for a second um, and say, you know, right here is... 
probably one of the greatest arguments against racism in the Bible. Like that in the gospel, the gospel, there there is uh, no one who is impure or unclean. And uh, for Peter, having to overcome this, there was a stigma uh, for him and his Jewish uh, background to enter into a Gentile home. Uh, and yet, in the gospel, in God, there is no one impure or unclean. And there's a lot I could say there, but this is a short little podcast. But I just want to point that out because I think that that's important. In the gospel, there's no room for racism or prejudice. And not just racism, but um, you know, no, no room for really any, any prejudice. Just if you're in a wheelchair or not in a wheelchair, if you're mentally handicapped or not mentally handicapped, if you speak English or a different language, if you, you know, whatever diversity, if you're old, you're young, rich or poor, there's no room for any of that. There's, there's no room for that. The gospel puts us all on the same page. If you have um, success or something you feel proud of, you are humbled because Jesus, you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you. And if you have nothing and you're already humiliated, you have pride in knowing that Jesus died for you. It is the great equalizer. The gospel brings us all to the same plane. It's through Jesus. We are made whole. We are made righteous. Verse 30. Cornelius replied, Four days ago, I was praying in my house. About the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a Tanner, who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here, waiting before the Lord to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. What's the gospel? This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Now moving on to our Proverbs of the day, Proverbs chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. Evil people are eager for rebellion, but they will be severely punished. And finally, we will be reading Psalm 134 in a posture of prayer. 
three short verses today. This is the 134th Psalm. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. Oh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. Father, thank you um, for all that you have done, but more so who you are. It's an amazing thing that the God, the maker of heaven and earth, allows us to worship him. Uh, Knowing this, and then knowing that you came, you took on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, living the life I could not live, dying the death I deserve to die. Good news that there's peace that can be had between me and God through Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. That should lead me to lift my hands in worship. Uh, not, Not always physically, although that might be true, but a lifestyle of worship in which I am sold out 100% for you. And Lord, there are times in my life when that is not true. I repent of that. And I ask that I could see you more clearly so that that might be true in all circumstances, that I worship you. I worship you as I do my work. I worship you as I spend time with my wife. I worship you as I eat a meal. I worship you in all of life because you are the maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, thank you for the many ways you bless us, namely in your son Jesus but in all the other ways we do not deserve. We thank you, Lord, and it is in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me for today's reading. Hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.